You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Strider, or is it Sauron, seems to have taken a leaf from the Flamer APT playbook. Quadrooter sounds bad, but there are still no reports of exploitation in the wild. Carbonac Group may have hit Oracle point-of-sale systems. Rio Olympic seeing rogue Wi-Fi hotspots. Acts of war in cyberspace are just cyber espionage and cybercrime. U.S. Marshals to auction Bitcoin seized from Silk Road. And more Pokemon malware is found in the Google Play Store. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 9th, 2016. It's evidently Lord of the Rings week in the APT world, or at least was when the coders were writing back in 2011 or thereabouts. Symantec and Kaspersky independently warn of a new threat group they're calling either Strider, that's Symantec, or Project Sauron, as Kaspersky calls them. It appears to be engaged in a highly targeted campaign against organizations in Europe, Asia, and Africa, with Belgium, China, Iran, Russia, Rwanda, and Sweden particularly mentioned as geographical areas of interest. The Strider-Soron project group is thought to be state-sponsored, but so far there's no attribution to any specific government. Kaspersky says the APT has operated against government agencies, telecommunications firms, financial organizations, military and research centers since 2011. The group seems particularly interested in encryption software. Symantec reports that Strider uses RemSec malware to establish backdoors. They also say that features of its approach are reminiscent of that taken by the Flamer group, discovered and disclosed in 2012. Flamer was itself linked to Stuxnet, at least insofar as they shared some of the same source code. Kaspersky agrees that there are some similarities between Project Sauron and Flamer, but isn't entirely convinced they're the work of the same group, whoever that group might be. This week's other risk with a fancy name is Quadrooter, a firmware vulnerability checkpoint discovered in the Qualcomm chipsets powering Android devices. Quadrooter is worrisome since in principle it exposes Android devices to privilege escalation exploits that could give an attacker root access to the device. But matters may not be as bad as initially reported. There are so far no clear signs that Quadrooter is being exploited in the wild. And the widely quoted figure of 900 million vulnerable devices is almost certainly greatly overstated. Qualcomm has been pushing updates to manufacturers since April that in all likelihood have fixed the problem in many devices. A general patch is expected next month. In the meantime, if you're curious about your own device, Checkpoint has an online text you can run to determine whether it's vulnerable. 
As we consider the mobile world, it's worth reflecting on where, considering risk and security, 5G cellular service will take us. We spoke with Dr. Charles Clancy from our partners at Virginia Tech's Hume Center, and we'll hear from them after the break. The Olympics so far seem to have been affected by crime, notably the rogue Wi-Fi hotspots SkyCure and others have been warning about, and a bit of hacktivism directed mostly at Brazilian government websites. If you're in Rio, you should take the sorts of precautions you would have taken last week at Black Hat or DEFCON. Both The Guardian and E-Week look back at last week's conferences in Las Vegas and conclude that things aren't as one might wish in security. While The Guardian's indelicate characterization of the situation is no doubt overstated for effect, still a lot of enterprises seem not to be learning what E-Week calls Security 101 Lessons. That well-known commodity attacks continue to succeed is, of course, as familiar as it is lamentable. There are a lot of reasons for that. Enterprises have a lot to do, their resources aren't unlimited, and for small and medium-sized businesses, as well as for private individuals, it's easy to fall into a kind of learned helplessness in which whistling past the graveyard and hoping nothing happens becomes a default security posture. It might be worth quoting some perspective we received from Intrepid's chief scientist Lance Cottrell last week. He notes that many of the things people worry about are Hollywood hacks. Reflecting on his participation in panels on Internet of Things security, he said, quote, We tend to look for the extreme movie plot threat scenarios. What if they hacked your car and drove you off a cliff? And how likely is it that someone would go after you in such a Rube Goldberg fashion? If they were rationally evil and not in it for the Baroque Blofeldian lulls, wouldn't they just hire a hitman? Cottrell suggests that it's useful to think about what he called the attacker's mind space. Quote, what are their goals? They want to generate money. Why is ransomware suddenly a thing? Because it's hugely lucrative. Why DDoS? Because it works and can be easily monetized. End quote. And, he noted, some once common attacks are fading because of black market forces. There are fewer attempts to steal credit cards in part because stolen pay card numbers have now become so commoditized that it's hard to make money from them. So develop a realistic understanding of what you have that might be of value to an attacker and then manage your risk accordingly. Not every attack is out of skyfall. Whenever an enterprise is breached, Cottrell noted, the first press release talks about how extremely sophisticated the attackers were. Of course it would. Quote, you don't want to say some script kitty used a well-known exploit against our unpatched browser from two years ago to own us, but that's actually what happened most of the time. End quote. As the U.S. considers enhancing the status of U.S. Cyber Command, observers suggest that the world collectively, and its security and defense sectors especially, need to devote some thought to reaching clarity about conflict in cyberspace and how it relates to actual lethal kinetic warfare. ThreatPost is running a long, thoughtful op-ed on the topic in which important distinctions are drawn. In particular, it's worth remembering that espionage and propaganda aren't, generally speaking, acts of war, and that it's a stretch to call the tools used to accomplish them in cyberspace weapons. Nor is crime, or even organized crime, generally warfare. We'll add two more metaphors to the discussion, both of which derive from American history but have broader applicability. For all the talk about a cyber Pearl Harbor, we would also do well to recall the difficulty of attribution, and worry also about a cyber Tonkin Gulf incident, lest nations perceive acts of war where none exist. A Russian organized crime mob, thought to be the same outfit behind the Karbanek APT, has compromised Oracle's Micros point-of-sale system. Oracle has advised affected customers to reset passwords. Other remediation is underway. 
Brian Krebs reports that security researchers told him on background that they observed a Micros customer support portal communicating with a Carbonax server. How the gang got access to the system is for now unknown, at least publicly. In law enforcement news, Ireland's Garda upgrades its defenses after the cyber attack it recently sustained. Australia sets up a cyber unit to track terrorist funding, and the U.S. prepares to auction off Bitcoin seized from Silk Road. That's some 2,719 Bitcoin, and you don't have to be Satoshi Nakamoto to know that's worth a bit of change. Around $1.6 million, just to ballpark it for you. The auction will be held August 22nd. If you're interested, you'll have to register by August 18th. Finally, there are still more Pokemon Go issues. More malicious Pokemon apps have been found in the Google Play Store. A number of them are serving up the Droid Jack Rat. And trust us, that's no Blastoise. Be careful out there. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, we all use our mobile devices and we're dependent on the, uh, the data that those devices use. Uh, the next thing coming down the pike is 5G cellular technology. What are we talking about when we're talking about 5G? So 5G is a number of different technologies that are being aggregated together uh, that are building on top of the current 4G LTE standards that uh, we all use currently in our smartphones. Some of the key features of 5G are a new spectrum. So there's a lot of uh, spectrum that is available that's currently in use typically by the U.S. military, but not uh, widely used here in the United States. Uh, and the White House has asked the U.S. military to look at how it might share those bands with commercial cellular service. 
Uh, and then we also have the millimeter wave spectrum up at much higher frequencies that has some also has some interesting properties but could enable extremely high data rate uh, communications. Um, so new spectrum is one key part of, of 5G in addition to uh, this notion of cognitive management and, and uh, software-defined networking and the ability to almost treat your cellular network as, as an elastic resource uh, for communication from a wireless device into the cloud. And so what are some of the specific security challenges with 5G? Well, there's a number that we're looking at right now uh, in the area of new spectrum bands. So the first band really that's being looked at is the 3.5 gigahertz band, which here in the United States is used by uh, the U.S. Navy. And uh, in that band is a Navy radar that's used for air traffic control purposes. Uh, so for the last year, I've been uh, chairing a standards committee within the Wireless Innovation Forum that's been looking at uh, how we can share that band uh, within, uh, between the U.S. Navy and the cellular uh, commercial ecosystem uh, in such a way that the privacy of the Navy operations are not inadvertently re revealed to the public uh, as a part of uh, that interaction. Um, so there's some new standards that are, uh, have actually just been published by the Wireless Innovation Forum uh, that define uh, the operational security and privacy protections uh, that this ecosystem will have. So that's one particular aspect that I think is really interesting. Uh, the second uh, is in the area of millimeter wave, where you have uh, very high data rate and very high frequency signals. Uh, and the technology that's being employed there, I think, provides a unique opportunity from a security perspective. Uh, much of this, uh, s uh, these signals are such high frequency that they generally don't penetrate walls. So unless you're in the same room as the access point, uh, you may not be able to uh, receive a signal from it, which is obviously good from a security perspective uh, in terms of limiting potential exposure. Um, also, technology being used, uh, uh, massive MIMO, where you've got many antennas, uh, and these antennas are all transmitting signals that uh, cohere at your specific physical location, also prevents someone that's in a different physical location from being able to uh, intercept or receive your signal. So I think that's a unique opportunity that will help improve security uh, with 5G cellular. Is there any sense for what kind of timeline we're on when we may be seeing 5G in our, in our personal devices? Well, as with uh, all of the different cellular standards, uh, it's a kind of an incremental process. So I think that we're going to see uh, some of the frequency bands becoming incrementally available over the next uh, two to three years. Technologies like millimeter wave um, are, are still in the R&D stages. Uh, there have been demonstrations uh, that they will work uh, and will work at scale, uh, but so far uh, they're nowhere near uh, ready for commercial product development. All right, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 